All right, guys, welcome to the Adam Peter Fitness Podcast. Today, I have uh, Charlie Dixon on the podcast. For those of you who are not aware of Charlie, Charlie uh, works for Marvel Medicine right now. He has a doctor of physical therapy. He also won the 83 Kilo um, IPL World Championship. He was back in 2019, 2018 uh, for um, the 83 Kilo weight class. Um, and he is currently, he's had a lot of things going on with powerlifting and even had a foray in like boxing for a little bit. Um, so yeah, we are it's super awesome to have Charlie on, uh, for those guys who just don't know, like personally, like Charlie is a huge inspiration for me with why I started powerlifting in the first place a lot, because I relate to a lot of his story, uh, especially I was listening to like the, one of the hybrid podcasts with like Steppy and Hayden. Uh, I was like, holy crap, I have a lot in common with, with, with this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually remember back in 2020, my friend Zach reached out to me. He's like, you know, you sent me you. And I was like, holy crap. <laughs> How is this guy squatting so much? So, yeah, it was awesome to have you on, man. Did I miss anything? I appreciate that, man. That's uh, thank you for having me on, and it's an honor to be here. And uh, I thank you. Awesome, man. So I wanted to first uh, delve into a little bit of uh, sort of, well, I guess most recently, uh, your comeback to powerlifting. Um, I know there's a lot that went into that, um, dis- yeah. you know, into that decision because of uh, some things that happened. So. I guess we'll kind of start like when you look back in Virginia before you even made the move down to okay. Miami. Um, what sort of spurred that? Yeah, so this takes us back probably to uh, 2019 and uh, this April in 2019. So I was prepping for the Arnold that year. Um, no, 2020, excuse me. Um, wait, no, this is 2019. Okay. So I tore my groin pretty bad in uh, like a few weeks out from the Arnold in 2019. And I think I still have the video on my Instagram. If you scroll back, it's like, it's like a 635 or somewhere in that range. And uh, I went down the hole, you can see my knee cave in and my adductor was uh, torn pretty bad. So um, I, I started pulling conventional around that time. And I, I really started pushing that. And uh, that's when I started to feel like this low back sensation. Um, it kind of started then. And it was one of those things leading into nationals that year later in October, I had to kind of manage it on and off. This kind of went on all the way through the Arnold in 2020. So it was kind of, uh, I really had to focus on managing loads appropriately. Otherwise, if I, I went too hard too quickly, um, it would kind of flare up on me. Uh, the big setback was in May of 2020. So this is shortly after the Arnold's um, starting to ramp back up in training. Lockdowns are happening. I I'm training at my buddy's gym who had like a nice garage gym out in the middle of nowhere. It was really awesome training there. And I remember I had a, a 625 triple, a pause triple. It felt okay during, um, but I remember I woke up the next morning. I, could, I couldn't get out of bed really. Like if I sat up, I would get this extreme sharp shooting pain down the back of my legs. I couldn't do a calf raise on my right side. It's the weirdest sensation in the world. It, it just feels empty. No matter how much you try to like, focus on that area um and that was like that that kind of freaks you out a little bit um no matter how much education you have uh, in regard to pain science a lot of stuff we put out of barbell medicine something like that happens your mind naturally goes to oh no am i ever going to be able to compete again or lift or even be able to live without pain so i started rehabbing that and rehab i i had no intentions of getting surgery so uh this would be considered a lumbar radiculopathy where you actually have the muscle weakness and um, numbness and things like that. And the timeline is just going to take a lot longer typically in those scenarios if you do go with the uh, conservative route. 
so I actually made a lot of progress. I was working with uh, Derek um, on our team and uh, he was kind of guiding my lower body uh, rehab through that summer. And we were making some good progress. Uh, and then it was in October. Um, I think it was safety bar squatting, which is a normal session doing like six sets of six. And it felt like I was straining my left quad um, on one of the last sets. So I called it there and it just kind of stayed there regardless if I was flexing my quad or not. And I woke up the next morning again and it was the same thing. I couldn't get out of bed. And this time it was down my left quad and I had left quad weakness. So if I would go up and down stairs, my knee would buckle. Um, and then you, you start to like, you're, you're back to scratch again. And it, when you, I look back at some of my earlier, like powerlifting days, like, I was so passionate. I loved it so much. I was so excited. And when that gets taken away from you, it's like you're trapped in your own body. Right. Um, so that, that was very difficult for me, especially like towards the end of 2020. And, um, that's where the boxing thing started to enter the picture. So my best friend lived down the, uh, street from me. I, I went down, we were watching some UFC fights one night. He actually has a heavy bag in his gym. So it was a Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier too, if anyone's a fan of UFC, yeah. uh, this is January 21. And it was during the prelims, we went out and he grew up boxing a little bit and he showed me, you know, the basic punches and everything. And I just got obsessed with it. And it was like, cause it didn't hurt really. It didn't hurt nearly as much as trying to, um, you know, train like I wanted to. So, uh, Steffi Cohen, she also, uh, went through a similar experience. She had a low back injury, got into boxing and, uh, she had made a post about it. I think I reached out to her and, uh, that's when she invited me down to hybrid. And this is March 21. I, I went down there like the next week, uh, got a few sessions in with her boxing coach. And, uh, I remember we were doing like the second or third session is like, man, you're, you're picking this up fast. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to move down here. And I, he, I don't know if he believed me or not, but I was like, being in that environment was really good for me. It, it gave me, uh, surrounded by people who have a similar mindset in regard to training. They take it very seriously. And, you know, I, I just loved being in that environment. So that's kind of what led me to move down there. Uh, long story short, I spent like a year down there prepping for my first amateur fight. Um, it was actually this time last year, uh, April 30th. Uh, we, we perhaps spill much for that and went in is a very different experience, uh, especially at the amateur level, you're throwing a lot of punches and, uh, looking back, probably would have prepared a little differently just to get used to that amount of output in that short amount of time, um, ended up losing a, a decision, but I was still very happy with all the work that was put into that and having the courage to go in and do it. And I definitely took a lot from it. Um, so fast forward to now, uh, that's, I met my wife down there in uh, Miami. So that was one of the blessings in disguise. Um, she lived out here in Arizona. I moved out here in August and just have been trying, uh, focusing more on powerlifting. Again, my back's been feeling better. Started working with my powerlifting coach since 2015, uh, Brad clear. Um, and it started working with him again and had my first meet back in since 2020, um, this time last month. Uh, so that's kind of the, the big recap, um, of everything. Yeah. So I think that there's a lot there. I think, um, number one, one of the things that I, you know, as it's like the main thing that holds those powerlifters back is, is injuries. And, mm -hmm. um, I know that Eric Helms is, he said that, you know, he knew it with Bryce Lewis, as long as he didn't get in a hurt, he was going to be a world champion. Um, and that sort of became true. And I know that like, 
like I've had some injuries, like I, I mean, right now I have like a pec minor strain <laughs> two weeks out. It was awesome. Um, but, and then like I tore my lat last year did, uh, after I like did like a, like it was, it was something I should have backed off on. It was like, it was slowly getting worse and worse and worse. Then one session I was dehydrated and um, it just went on the last rep. Uh, and it was like, I went from deadlifting like 700, being on top of the, of the world and to like barely being able to do like 600. Yeah. Um, it's definitely one of those, it's a really hard thing. Like, I think the hardest thing about like physically it, it, it's, it's debilitating obviously, but like the psychological toll it has on you, especially around like your identity. Um, it's really difficult. Um, like how did you work through that? Because I know that you've had several injuries, um, like, you know, even from for this last meet, uh, too. Um, yeah. What kind of like got you go through that? I know that there's a lot of like pain science stuff like there, mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, no, thoughts? that's, that's a, a great question. And I think back to when I first started training, um, you know, I was, this is 2008. I was 12, like 12 years old at that time. And um, I, I weighed like 84 pounds soaking wet. Um, and I, I wanted to get bigger and stronger for wrestling and for football. And for me, you know, training has always been this outlet where I could go and I felt like I could be myself. And it just gave me so much confidence, right? And um, especially a lot of emotional stuff. Everyone kind of goes through those teen years that are kind of weird and angsty or whatever it may be. And, you know, I just used a lot of that anger and emotion and kind of put it into, into training. And one of the things that injuries taught me, you can't escape those things you don't want to deal with because you're trapped in your own body and you don't have that outlet anymore. And then you have that question, who am I without this thing that I love? For me, it was when I first started powerlifting, it was like, I want to be a world champion in the IPF. That's like the most re uh, reputable drug tested federation. I want to be the best at, at that. Um, and then, you know, you get that. And then immediately it's like, I went to the ne next thing, right. And I moved up a weight class and age division. And I wanted to do replicate the same thing at 93 um and then the injuries started happening and then you're kind of in that spot where that thing that you love you can't do anymore and for me you know i think a lot of it was focusing outward and doubling down because i was coaching at that time and also working as a rehab clinician through barbell medicine so for me i saw it as an opportunity to kind of give back to the people that i work with and and being able to empathize with them on a deeper level it gave me a lot of value seeing how i could walk other people through it because I know what I very much know what how bad it can get. Um, and I, I think it definitely helps being able to see other people make progress and help them make it through. That helped me a lot. That uh, the boxing, finding a new outlet. Um, you know, for some people it might be playing music or whatever it may be. For me, it was boxing. Always been fascinated with fighting and, and martial arts. So that was something I, I could tolerate. So really when you're kind of going through um that process, um loosening that identity towards, you know, identifying as this power lifter or whatever it may be, uh, can be really helpful. Um, even with making smarter trading decisions, right? Like you don't get as attached to chasing certain numbers or uh, comparing yourself to where you used to be. You're able to kind of loosen that grasp a little bit and accept where you are. Even if, if you could squat six or deadlift 600, 700 pounds, it's okay that you're doing RDLs with dumbbells, 45 pound dumbbells. This is your starting point. And really it comes down to focusing on those small wins in training and focusing on the things that you can do and tolerate 
And being able to string as many of those small wins together will put you in a state of confidence and uh, belief in yourself again and puts you in a much better mind state to be able to navigate those setbacks when they occur. I think that's really awesome advice. Like, you know, I have some, I, so prior to COVID, I was actually in the process of getting my master's degree in athletic training. And so like, you know, I was able to work with like a lot of players who were going through injuries and whatnot. And that, that, a lot of things that you're saying, like right there is like a lot of these we would tell them to like, try to do is like, Hey, like, this is just what like, you have to first like accept it. And like, that's one of the hardest things to do is because you're going to like keep trying and you know, what, whatnot. And sometimes that, may, that may, makes things even worse. Um, but sort of like, you know, saying this is what I can do. Um, and then understanding that, you know, it, it's just like, you know, the process of, I, I was like for framing and like, it's just like training. You just have this, well, you just, or but you're, you're a beginner again, you know, you can make progress again and finding other outlets. It's funny that you say music yeah. because like, that's like a big thing for me, actually. Like when I was dealing with my um, anorexia, like that was probably the only reason like why I, I stayed alive at all, honestly. Like that was the one thing I kind of had going for, for oh, yeah. me. So finding outlets like that is like, really important and then um like you said finding those those small wins and saying well this is what what i can do is sort of like reframing things yeah um and i i know that like i think what's been most impressive is like you know i've seen i mean i remember i came back to one of me in 2021 um after covid and i really wasn't training very much during that time and i saw one of this one guy who i really look up to like locally like jad alame he or as his adductor, like trying to squat like high sixes. And I was like, holy crap. And I saw him like go through that process too. And like now he's, you know, squatting 700 with like ease and whatnot. So it's just like, I guess I say all that as a, uh, I think it's also just accepting like it's kind of part of powerlifting too. Like you're going to have setbacks. Um, like how would, like, actually, I want to ask you this because I feel like I, like you said, like you learn for, for, from it. You know, learning how to like better accept like what are the, some other things that you sort of learned from you know your, your setbacks with your with your injuries i think the biggest thing and uh you know we hear that question all the time like what's the biggest thing you've changed your mind on whether being a coach or whatever it is in your profession uh for me it's like you you don't need to do as much volume or work as you think you do to make progress and i wish i could go back in time and tell my younger self that um, and in some ways I don't, I don't regret any of the training decisions or the setbacks that have made it led me to where I am now and, and the life that I live now. And I'm very grateful for the lessons and all the dark times that I experienced, uh, through that. But my advice would be to, you know, younger lifters, especially, um, I know you're, you're amped up, you're ready to work, you're ready to get after it. Uh, just do it in a manner to where you do, um, enough to make progress. If you're making progress, you don't necessarily need to do more volume or intensity just for, you know, uh, for the sake of doing it. I think that's really the, uh, the big thing is learning, uh, the concepts of load management, um, learning about pain science, what it means, what it doesn't mean. Um, I think all those tools and resources can be extremely helpful. Um, and that's the biggest thing I've changed my mind on for sure. Yeah. I think that's actually a great segue into, um, like how has your training been, um, sort of changed over time? Yeah. So, uh, like I mentioned before, I, I started working with uh, my coach again, uh, Brad, and um, I think back in December. So from then until uh, till the meet in is it March yet, yeah, towards the end of March of this year, uh, with uh, with the squad, we kind of did like uh, this wave load protocol. So we would go like uh, the first week would be, you know, RPE five. If we're, we'll just use the squat for an example on the top sets. 
RP five the first week, RP six, seven. And I think we might have done four uh, four week wave load. And the, the last week would be uh, push a little bit more. Um, and we did that like three, three or four times. And I, I think it worked pretty well. And I was able to kind of manage things a, a little bit easier that way. Um, that is, and also just um, undershooting a lot the first week and, and making smart trading decisions in the sense that I used to really chase numbers. So with the, with the uh, deadlift, uh, I, I wasn't able to train it as frequently. For whatever reason, I was more sensitive to uh, hinging patterns uh, compared you to the squat. actually changed the conventional order. Yeah. Um, what was the reason for, for that? I couldn't get the sumo to click like I wanted it to. And I kept uh, essentially turning it into like a, a stiff-legged sumo deadlift. And it would just go all to my lower back. I do and, that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was getting so frustrated with it. So this is like six weeks out. I just switched to conventional. And I, I started out pulling conventional uh, way back when. I've actually had to do this uh, in a meet. I've actually strained my adductor on my third squat and had to switch from sumo to conventional for the deadlift and ended up pulling similar. Um, but with the conventional, I was just able to find my positioning a lot easier, uh, which kind of uh, led me to, to make that change. So these past uh, this past month, I've been working on getting back into sumo because I, I do think my top end is going to be a little bit stronger once I'm able to kind of find that groove again, which I feel like I'm doing really getting my legs involved off of the floor. Um, but yeah, the, the big thing, uh, you know, big training adjustments have been doing far less volume, especially for the squat and the deadlift, like with a squat, just squatting two times a week, one day high bar, one day low bar with like the top set back down approach. The high bar day is more like ascending sets. So ascending sets on the, the squat and then for the, uh, on, uh, on the secondary day, on the high bar day. And then the uh, primary day would just be like a top set and like a couple back downs. Whereas previously, uh, you know, like 2017, 2018, it'd be like uh, it's three days per week of competition squatting. Um, the third day would be like a single and then like five sets of four, eight by three, something wow. like that. So uh, a lot of a lot of volume. I will say it definitely developed some mental fortitude in a lot of those sessions. You don't want to keep going, but um that's that's one of those things i wish i could go back in time like charlie you don't need to do all this you know you can do probably half of this and make maybe more progress because you'll be healthier and feel better so that's the ironic thing about volume is because it's like you like we always think like more is better but like it's like yeah. really that that principle of like diminishing like returns like dude I, I like looking at like how you're built i don't know like how you could even tolerate three times a week squat like i think yeah. about that and i'm like i would die like like we're pushing squat more right now for me. I'm doing nine sets a week. <laughs> uh, I don't normally do like seven, but that's just, you know, peaking, you know, a little bit. Uh, but it, it sounds to me like, you know, I know that we talk about this and in the DMs too. Like you, like number one, I think you're being like more respective, like your actual like fatigue patterns, you know, like yeah. less forcing the weight and becoming more okay with all those like fluctuations in performance, especially like on a, you know, on a wave load week. Um, I actually want to ask you, what was the main reason why you went from like a wave load to, or sort of from like a deload stru type structure to like a wave load? I'm assuming you're uh, I was just being an athlete. Uh, so oh, I was, okay. Brad, I was, yeah, I was Brad's idea. I was like, all right, I, I'm one of those guys. Like I, when it comes to being an athlete, I'm, I, you tell me what to do. I'll run through a wall. You tell me to do it. I am that type. So, um, I, I kind of like that, that idea of, okay, we're going to push, you know, this week is just the intro week. Just, you know, hit something light. 
And then I was making bigger, bigger jumps. And I seemed to really be able to push that third or fourth week where I felt really good. And that secondary day, the high bar day at the beginning of the week would kind of be a good proxy because of like, oh, I feel really strong on this day. I, and my performance is up. I have a feeling on this, uh, on this heavier squat day, it's going to be a big one. So um, I, I think that approach uh, worked really well um, for the bench press. So we were benching four times a week. Um, unfortunately, this was like at six weeks out. Uh, yeah, I strained my, my left pack. So I've, I've strained both of them previously, uh, but I tweaked my left pack and um, we started making good progress again there towards um, till the final week. And then the one week out, I was wanting to at least touch over 400 pounds and maybe set myself up for like a 420, 430-ish bench, bench press. And uh, 405, I brought it down and same thing, uh, a week out. So yeah. that was like, man, hey, those thoughts in your head, man, I should just pull out a knee. I shouldn't do this and that. And then I did, we were after I calmed down, we kind of ran the numbers. Like the main goal with this is just to qualify for nationals. And if I, you know, hit these numbers that are doable on the squat and the deadlift, I should be able, hopefully I'll be recovered enough to uh, hit what I need to on bench. And um, thankfully um, I was able to, um, uh, to, to bench 335, I think it was. So it recovered pretty quick. It, I had to tempo it basically. It was like a tempo bench just to make sure because uh, the tendon didn't like the, yeah. the speed component, but uh, yeah, I was grateful. I was able to get that figured out, but we've uh, adjusted the bench a little bit for uh, since the meet um, and just dialed back the frequency just a little bit uh, to three, three times a week and doing um, instead of doing like, cause I used a, a max grip, max grip with the pointer fingers on the rings. And I find I can't tolerate a ton of work uh, with that grip. So we'll do a top set, uh, maybe like a couple back downs and then fill in the rest of like dumbbell bench. I just, it's much more tolerable for me and I'm able to get the volume in that way um, on the primary day. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's um it, it, interesting that like, it clearly, I think part of that was probably you, you come back and be like really, really, really strong. Like again, really, 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 really fast, you know, regaining a lot of that old yeah. strength. Um, but like, it definitely I found that like you, like you have a pretty long range of motion that like more of that internal like rotation at the shoulder can be really stressful when you have a, have yeah. a, a big arch um like i've i kind of find that like i like i tried out you know like the max grip and doesn't work well for me but it's a similar reason i'm actually stronger with like pinkies on the ring um but you know that that's that's awesome you know and i think this also goes to show people like there's a lot of different ways to train that will work for you and that this is one of the reasons like why that you have a coach and why you should um always be thinking about well, what am i responding well to now what am i not responding well to because um, I know Mike Tashir always talks about how that's just, you have to constantly have your finger on the pulse and uh, changing things. Like um, I was doing four times a week benching. I got to like a 380 and then it just like, it worked well for a little bit and then it stopped kind of working. I started like getting weaker and it's just like, oh, well, based on these symptoms and like, oh, this is a pec minor strain. Like that's what I've been dealing with for a little bit. Just great, great ones. Like not enough to like really tank me, but it's enough to affect strength. Like, okay, well then, then, then dial back. So I think that's a great message of, um, you know, I don't think it's about doing like the minimum volume, but like not going overboard. And mm -hmm. if you're making any sort of progress, like you're probably close to optimal anyways. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like exactly. the grass isn't always greener on the other uh, yeah. other side. Sometimes it leads to more, to more injuries. Um, yeah. so I guess, um, wanted to talk a little bit about sort of your product. Like, it's like, obviously like you look different than most powerlifters. Um, you know, you're, you're more, you're more jacked and, and more lean, 
Um, and I think that like, especially when you're competing in the 83s, like you were like walking around like 194, right? 197. Yeah. Last time I cut down, I was walking around like 197 for that. So yeah. first off, like how the hell did you manage um, to do that with a two hour way in? Yeah. So I, I think a lot of things worked in my favor on that front. So, um, I started wrestling when I was really young and of course, weight cutting is a big part of that sport. So I did that all through, uh, basically, uh, through high school, uh, even at, like middle school, some too. And I think having that background, you, you learn how to suffer really well. Um, and so of course there was a performance decrease, right? So when I would cut down to 83, um, I would be much stronger in the gym, but in that instance, the performance drop was worth it because it made us competitive in that weight class, especially with, you know, uh, placings at nationals to qualify for worlds, all that good stuff. Um, sorry, I got off track. What was the original question? Oh, to talk about like, like how you manage like that, that, that weight cut. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, uh, it's been a, been a while since I've had to do it. Thankfully, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, let me think back here. So it would be like uh, that Sunday, I would have like my last, if I was competing on a Saturday, let's say that I would have my last big meal and just eat normally. And then I would stop, start my water load on that Monday. So that's what, like five days out. So I would drink about two to two and a half gallons of water um, and go through. Uh, Steve Denobi has a great um, uh, video on gut cuts. I would perform a gut cut as well. In addition to a water cut, I would highly recommend checking out his article on the topic. And I think he has the video too. That was really helpful, but that's essentially what I would do uh, for leading into um, the meet. And it's funny. I remember in 2017 nationals, this was in uh, USAPL nationals. This was in uh, Orlando, Florida. I, uh, that was like my biggest cause from 198 down to 183. And I don't think I ate anything for like, uh, at least 24 hours yeah. 24 to 30 hours um and i got to the venue it was at, at the airport and i got to the venue and there was 30 minutes left i was on the prime time session 30 minutes left before uh weigh-ins and I, I went and checked my weight because i was good on the scale back at the airbnb i checked my weight and i was uh half a pound over so that is since you get that initial like oh shit moment and it's like all right let me put my stuff back on so put all my gear back on I, I ran outside and I ran in front of the airport for that last 30 minutes spitting in a bottle and uh, <laughs> I made the way people are like what the hell is happening <laughs> yeah yeah so I, I made the weight, and the worst part was refueling after because you don't feel like doing anything and the way I approached that, that's probably the hardest part, honestly, is being able to keep all the food and water down. So right off the bat, I, I chugged a, a Pedialyte, so 32 fluid ounce Pedialyte. I let that settle, you know, let that stomach expands and it shrinks, and then you you focus on the, the fluid first. And then my uh, uh, coach, uh, Brad, and then my uh, one of our friends handling me, uh, Kevin, uh, he, he kept feeding me like Dunkin' Donuts, uh, and pretzels and a bunch of salt. I'm like, I feel like eating this. And then it's time to go warm up. And thankfully, um, at that particular meet, the primetime session got pushed back half an hour. So it was actually a two and a half hour win. So that definitely helps. I definitely took advantage of that. I remember warming up for squad. That's the hardest thing. You put your belt on and keeping everything down. I thought it was going to yeah. be a, a meme or a YouTube video of the guy who throws up on the ref. Um, thankfully, that didn't happen. And that was, that was one of my best performances. That one qualified me for the, uh, the national team in uh, 2018 for IPF worlds. Um, but yeah, when it comes to the 
the actual approach, like the X's and O's, I, like I said, I would recommend that video from uh, Steve. I think he does a really good job covering uh, the concept behind a gut cut. And uh, I think he includes some water uh, cutting or uh, sodium manipula manipulation, all that good stuff on there too. Um, but yeah, you can't go wrong with that. Yeah, I also have like a free resource actually made kind of like off that video. If you feel just like entering like their calories and their average amount of fluid, yeah. they just can, 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 can do that in my bio. Um, but yeah, man, like I've, um, I can't, it's, it, it's pretty clear to like, you know, you don't get as affected from water cutting. Like, like, like you still did obviously, but like, dude, I can't imagine, like I've cut like 12 pounds, but like the, like before, and I had a 24 hour lay in and I'm like, I'm like, I, I was just thinking about, I'm like, I, I, I'm like, I swear Charlie's like cut down like 195, like 183. I like, and he has a squat like two hours later. Like, it's the weirdest thing to like, I remember like my first time I did it, like drinking water after it it's like this weird sensation. You're like, you, you kind of feel like sick to your stomach, but like, you're like, oh, this is amazing. And that's like, you also kind of don't like it. Yeah. And then you think about food and you're like, uh, I don't know about that. Oh, <laughs> having to squat later, man. So I think a lot of that is like mental fortitude, like you said. Um, but like, obviously like, you know, the process of moving, moving up like a weight class. Um, I actually want to ask you because this is something that, you know, I'm currently going through. And I think a lot of lifters go through event, like eventually is like, um, you know, like it says, like, like your, your training approach and like, sorry, your nutrition approach with like going up a weight class, like how you're able to like get muscular mm -hmm. while like not really getting fat is like, you've never really lost your six pack. Like you're always like around 10% is what it, it looks like. All of the number doesn't really matter. Yeah. You always look jacked and, and lean. So like, what is your, like your, 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 what has your nutrition look like? And what was the whole mental process of sort of moving up weight class and accepting that weight gain also like. I think this is also a good, good question is like, how did you gain that weight? Was it like all in here? was like, like spurts up, up and then you would hold it and spurts up because like, I, that's, I know that's how like, like everybody likes to think it's just linear, but it's not always that case. Yeah. So let me think back. So this, I moved up a weight class. This was in 2018 after worlds. I've had full intentions. I, I don't want to make this cut ever again. Um, funny enough, I did it for boxing. Actually, that's a, a side tangent, but yeah, I, I did the whole thing again. But, um, yeah, yeah. And I, um, I, I remember the first few months I basically would eat as normal and I would eat a whole thing of Ben and Jerry's at night. I, I'll be, that's that awesome. was like, that was actually, I have had tried every single flavor of Ben and Jerry's. Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite flavor? <laughs> that is a great question. I, I'm that's a big tough. fan. You can't go wrong with half baked. Um, uh, I like the milk and cookies flavor too. Those are probably my two favorites. Boom chocolate that one that was good the, yeah. the, the cookie cutter yeah i i like i like the i think like my top three like tonight though peanut butter rolls you can only get at target um yeah. and then i really like the like the the salty caramel core but yeah anyways we like yeah. that like good to know your fellow ice cream aficionado if you don't have a, like a ninja blender like you should get one you can make them at home i think i think actually you, you just got them right the uh ninja creamy the ninja yeah 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 yeah, we that's have the uh, best investment oh, I've ever made in my life. <laughs> protein ice cream. Yeah, you, yes. yeah it's, it's phenomenal. Uh, but just to provide some context to this question. So I started like tracking macros and all that good stuff. This was uh, like 20, because I started lifting in 2008. And then 2010, I, I found bodybuilding.com. And that was really big at the time. And they had these little food logs. They would send you like, if you order the supplements, like protein or whatever, sometimes they would include like a little journal where you can log your workouts and write it down and write down like your nutrition for that day. So I started reading all their articles and stuff, started tracking then, then my fitness pal, probably 2011. So I had 
been tracking and got acquainted with, okay, that, you know, what I know what a, a tablespoon of peanut butter looks like, like how many calories that might be and all that good stuff. So having all that uh, experience, you kind of get a sense for how much food you're taking in and you understand the dynamics of like calorie balance and how to manipulate your weight based off of that. So I was pretty loose with right after I wasn't like super strict with it. I was eating pretty much the same thing, which I know, um, I know about how many calories that is. It's probably like 35 ish hundred calories a day. And then I'll throw in a Ben and Jerry's for like a good uh, month or two after that. And my weight went up pretty quickly. And then I stopped. Um, I, I just kind of gradually, I didn't really track that much at all. Once again, because I didn't have to, um, I would just kind of monitor my body weight and I would stay around in that 203 to 205 range there towards, um, two, uh, in the Arnold 2020, I think I was walking around like 208. So it was like a three pound cut for me at the time. Cause the weight class is 205. Um, so I really wasn't all that strict with it. Now, in regard to how to, how to stay lean, I've always been a really lean guy. Even if you, I, if people saw me when I was like a freshman or a sophomore, like I was a pretty small kid. Like I said, I wrestled like 103, my freshman year, 125, sophomore, 138, and then 152, my senior year. So it was like a gradual progression. And, um, I I've always loved training. I've never not been consistent with it. I've put in a lot of time to it. So, um, yeah, I, does that answer your question? Yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's, that's, that's awesome in the sense of like, it just kind of shows because, um, like number one, you kind of just like, you're like, I'm moving up weight class, I'm doing this. And you're like, you find some way that was like most enjoyable for you to do that, you know, choosing some foods that, that you liked and already kind of knowing what your energy needs are and having a good, good, good habits. And those will get you, um, really far. I know that like Alberto Nunez, like he did a prep to the stage, which is off of his habits. Yeah. The mental side of it too, I, I forgot to answer that part of the question. So one of the things I really struggled with, especially with wrestling at that time at, a, at such a young age, like 12, 13, 14, 15, I would think about food constantly and it would be a real struggle in that regard, right? Because it could be in the summertime, you don't have to worry about making weight until the winter, but it's like your mind's already on it. And it's like, I, especially during wrestling season, I got in this really bad binging cycle uh, because you cut all this weight basically at that time for me it was just don't eat or drink anything there there wasn't um i didn't wasn't aware of like the different ways to manipulate your uh, body weight safely um so uh like after a competition or a tournament on the weekend it's like i'm gonna eat everything i possibly can and then you have all those feelings of guilt and and shame and um you know, I would, I, I had this weird thing. I would try to feel, make sure my abs were still there. Like I was just so yeah. uh, concerned with gaining that extra uh, weight or uh, it distorting my image or, you know, being concerned with what, how others would perceive me type of thing. So that was there uh, from a young age, for sure. For me, I think it was uh, liberating to not be like at, at that age, when I moved up to the 93 weight class, it, it was a, uh, it was nice not have to having to track so strictly. And for me, it, like my performance went up pretty quickly after that. And that was enough for me to buy in and not be as concerned with it. Cause I saw, I remember that was probably the hottest streak of training I've ever had in my entire life was in 2018 after worlds and then bumping up a weight class. And uh, yeah, that, that made it easier for sure. Focusing on the performance aspect of it. 
Yeah. Plus, like, if your performance is going up that dramatically, you're probably mostly gaining like muscle. Uh, yeah. You know, so if you're just eating more, not like not much, not much is happening. Um, that's something that you know maybe you gotta change something with your with your training stimulus or or whatnot. Um, but yeah, like I relate a lot to that because like just for context, in the past, like I had I struggled pretty severely with anorexia for five years. Um, to the point where like I got hospitalized and um was just it just it it just it turned my life upside down. And um, like I think the only way I stayed around 135 pounds that entire time was I would basically eat like nothing the entire week. Um, I would do. I would go over to the, to the clubhouse at night, like by my parents, uh, like when I lived there, uh, I would get like the key of that. They don't, they didn't know that I, I was doing this. So I would like walk up several for like four hours, um, in like a hoodie and was obsessed with like being as small as I possibly could, but I'd be like super hungry. So I would barely eat anything. I basically would like, we eat whatever my parents, parents made me eat for, for breakfast. I would not eat lunch. And I would eat whatever my parents made me eat at dinner. I was maybe eating like 1200 calories a day. Uh, I was pretty active still, like I was doing like music stuff and whatnot. And then on the weekends, I would just get so hungry. I would just have a crazy binge cheat day. This is like, people were talking about, like the 10,000 car challenge, like, bro, that was like, that was easy. <laughs> that was easy for, for, for me. So like, really? I definitely like, like relate to that. And like, it wasn't until like I started training and finding, I found powerlifting that like, it was, I, I, I found like flexible dieting. I created better habits. I really saw my performance going up and that helped like associate like my I was like, holy crap, like food is actually good. And I like how I look too. I'm noticing a lot of muscle mass gain. Um, and like, again, then just because, you know, I, I still struggle with it every now and then. I know, like, I, I reached out to you about it, you know, when I was yeah. considering moving up, up, up a weight class and, you know, always getting anxious about seeing that number go up. But um, I think what you said about focusing on those performance goals and then just not making like your life centered around, around the scale will also really help you out a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think, yeah, focusing your um, efforts and I, being able to uh, focus your identity in other places too, you know, I, I think is a big part of it. Like you're more than the way you look. Um, that was like a big, a big thing. Um, and being able to detach from that a little bit. And when it comes to powerlifting, that's a beautiful thing with it. It's probably why I never went into bodybuilding for those reasons. Um, powerlifting always kind of spoke to me a little bit more and, uh, yeah, it's like it's it's much more objective, and I think being able to focus on the performance a aspects of it can be very helpful when you're kind of navigating that situation. I think it's also powerful to know, like, if I, like for example, I'm in meat prep. I'm like, this is now this is the time to like feel strong. Performance is what matters the most. Set yourself up for that. You know, eat enough. It's like you know, if you if you ever are like, oh, I gain a little bit of, you know, I want to cut down a little bit. You can always choose to. Um, yeah. But you know, I think a big part of it is like Mike Isertel talks about it, and he said that this one thing is in his. One of the ones that I, I love, and I tell my, my clients this a lot, is like, hey, you know, if you're not okay with the slightest bit of body fat gain or weight gain, this probably isn't the sport for you. You need to find like yeah. a, a, a different hobby. So like, I know, I know that you talked a lot about like, you know, the process of like getting to um, your, your goals and really respecting that. So I guess to, to end off, I have a couple last two, two, two mm -hmm. topics I wanted to ask you about. For somebody who is looking to potentially, you know, get somewhere where, where you've where you've gotten to um, in powerlifting, um, what are some steps that you would say are, like, I guess from like a actual like performance in like a mindset thing, like I guess two big big pieces of advice that you would give somebody who is looking to, you know, maximize their potential. This ties into that bit about focusing on the process and what what does that mean? So, just to give some context, like the thing that got me interested in it is. Uh, 
if you look at a lot of like highly successful sports teams, like uh, the Patriots, for example, when Tom Brady was there, or Alabama with Nick Saban, they always talk about the process, focusing on each play and not worrying about what the scoreboard shows. That's kind of what got my wheels turning about it. Um, and w- when you apply that to training, it, it really comes down to trying to maximize each session and maximizing it doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're pushing each set close to, you know, to failure or you're doing more kind of tying into that discussion from earlier, you could probably get away with doing less. So being honest with yourself on that front and being able to stack those small wins in training um, and, and just being present too, I think is a big part of it, right? Like when you go into training, like carving out that space for just training. So when I get ready to train, I have a, a little pre-training ritual. I'll take my pre-workout, whatever it is at the time. I'll listen to uh, a playlist to kind of get my mind in the, the state it wants to be. I'll remind myself of my goals, why I'm here, why I'm doing this. And just going in and not getting distracted, looking at Instagram or looking at your phone. If you're at, luckily I have a home gym now, but if you're in a, a gym, it doesn't mean you need to, you know, to be rude to people or anything. Like I, I kind of learned that too. You know, I go in and say hi to everyone and have my conversation. I, I expect that, you know, I'll give people my time, like 10 to 15 minutes. And then I put the headphones in and it's a different person. And I am completely focused on this workout that I have, whatever it is. And I'm going to execute it to the best of my ability. If it says RPE seven, I'm going to try my best to be honest with myself. Um, looking at the, the videos, I take videos. I'll look at it between set, um, make a call and then get right back to the next, next set. And I'm already, um, you know, just staying focused the whole time. I think you can really get a lot out of your training that way. Like a lot of my SBD days, um, when I would go through those, like you're working up to the top set, heading back downs, I could get through those in like two, two and a half hours, like very efficiently. And I wouldn't waste much time. You know, as soon as I, I'm done squatting, I'm already moving on the bench, getting that loaded up. Um, I, I think that mindset and cultivating that level of intense focus and not getting distracted uh, and making smart training decisions really can go a long way when it comes to uh, focusing on the process, right? And if you do that every session and you stack enough of those together, the outcome is going to take care of itself. You don't need to get attached to certain numbers and the risk that comes with trying to chase those numbers, you might get beat up a lot faster. And if you get some type of injury, that's going to take you out. And then that's time that you could have been training, right? So um, the more you can consistently uh, train and and stack those positive sessions together, uh, the better, right? Just invest. It's not very similar to investing. You're just investing a small amount um, each month or whatever it is. And you do that for enough time and you'll get the results that you want. I love that because I, that's something that has changed for me too. And like, as I've really started to make progress, I tell a lot of my lifters is like, like really like, like respecting like those, those RPEs, especially, um, and accepting, Hey, you know, performance like fluctuates and mm. sort of like having like a range of like acceptable loads for that day in, in your mind, you know, like my coach, Eric Bodhern, it says like, yeah, if you use like an RPE chart, I mean, it could be like plus or minus 5%, like as long as you're within that range, like you're good. Yeah. Um, and then really making training, like every session count and treating it, you know, like a, like a professional, um, like, you know, if you really do want it, want it might be the best, you know, that is, you know, that is time that it had, you know, needs to be to take taken seriously. And, um, you know, when you need to get into your zone, you know, like just be like respectful about it. Don't be a jerk. But I say, Hey, Hey, no, like I am training. You know, that's one of the things I've, I have to do in my gym is I go to powerlifting gym and everybody knows that I coach and they'll sometimes ask for help and I'm happy to give it to them. But it's like, if I am 
before like a heavy single, like you know, I'm two weeks out, it's like, hey, like I, I gotta focus on this. I'll, I'll help you out after deal. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that acceptance part is a big part of it too, because not every week is gonna be progress, right? And I can be able to progress every week for the rest of eternity. There's gonna be bad sessions in it. It doesn't have to be performance is down on a particular session. You can frame it however you want. And I think being able to be more neutral when you, whenever you do go in, let's say you're in the middle of a block, you're expecting to add 15 pounds to your squat this week and you go in and um, you, you know, you're a weight that you had easily last week. It, it, it's your top, basically RP eight, whatever yep. your goal was being able to accept that and not getting blowing it out of proportion and accepting. Okay. I showed up. I, I, I hit what I was supposed to hit and, and not trying to force things and having a more neutral mindset with that stuff can take you so far. Um, because if you're a powerlifter and your goal is to build platform and hit PRs, that's where that, that's the only place that matters, right? Training is training and there are going to be ebbs and flows in it. And I think just being able to cultivate that acceptance and, and make better training decisions will take you very far. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I guess last question is going to be, um, your process of beginning your doctorate of physical therapy. Um, like what was that like and how do you think it's sort of, of like the benefit is you like both like professionally and maybe from like your own training? Yeah. So I, I think I was in high school, like senior high school, you know, people always ask, what are you going to do after, you know, you're going to go to college, where are you going to be? I, I think I just, throughout physical therapy. I didn't really know all that much about it, but you just want to throw an answer out there. And I think it was like my sophomore year of college when um, I think a uh, Quinn Hennock, he, um, I saw he was kind of doing the blending strength conditioning with um, uh, the rehab side of things. And that got me interested in it because I was starting to run into some more injuries and things. And I wanted to know how to manage it. And I had a, like a handful of people I was coaching at that time. And, you know, they would have those types of questions too. So that was kind of all my, always my intention is to uh, be able to combine those two. And the way it, uh, it turned out, um, I met Austin Baraki, uh, one of the co-founders of Barbell Medicine and uh, Spokane, USAPL Nationals. We were actually in the same flight and I introduced myself. And at that time, he mentioned that, you know, they're looking for an intern uh, for their pain and rehab division. And that's how I got uh, brought on to the team. So how that has kind of influenced uh, the way I approach training and like when I would get injured, I, I would spend so much time doing warm ups and all these mobility drills and, and different things like that and being super hyper focused on little like that shit did my with my, yeah. both my toes even and all that that type of stuff. Um, it's made me so much more resilient and so much more confident whenever I do run into a setback, having the tools and the knowledge of knowing how to navigate it, especially with a low back injury with uh, lumbar radiculopathy, where you actually have like the motor weakness everyone uh -huh. is afraid of uh, and the numbness, you have that type of scenario and being able to apply those principles and, and still make it through on the other side. And um, I, it, it just get it, it makes you understand how resilient the human body is. And I, yeah, I, I'm very grateful to be in a position where I can help others kind of navigate that, those types of scenarios too. It's very uh, fulfilling for me uh, to help people who are in that low place. And I, I can empathize with them and being able to walk them through the, the process to get back to doing the things that they love doing. Yeah. A lot of times our mess becomes our message, right? You know, you just, <laughs> you've dealt with on a, 
you know, like on a personal level, you know, the impact it has on you. So, you know, like you're, I think that you're also probably better at it, like, because you're, you're more emotionally invested in them because mm-hmm. you also like, you know, you went, you went through that. And that's why a lot of times like re, re, reframing all these setbacks or negative experiences, like, like eventually it like, it, it will probably, you know, as long as you, as long as you choose to let it, it can really help you, um, in, in the long term. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I guess to, just to close off um, what are your, um, like next goals, um, plans with, uh, competing? Yep. So the next meet is going to be uh, USAPL Raw Nationals in September. It's in uh, Memphis this year. Um, no, I, ideally, I'd like to beat my my best total. I don't. I'm not too attached to that. My best total in competition is 8:45 kg. So that's 18:63 ish. Um, I would love to to be able to beat that, but if I don't, that's fine. I'm I'm much more playing the long game, and over the next several years, I'd like to just be able to continue competing at a high level and compete with the best uh, drug tested guys in the world. And that's really uh, my goal and wherever that takes me, it takes me. But at the end of the day, I, I just love training and I don't think that'll ever go away. Um, it's always been a huge part of my life. It saved my life in a lot of ways, uh, as I'm sure you have mentioned uh, for you as well. So yeah, uh, as far as the goal and, I, I think the pro- embracing the process ties into goal setting as well, right? So I, I threw out a number. Eight, I'd like to be 845. I'm not too attached to that. What I'm focused on is in this session coming up on Monday, am I hydrated enough? Am I getting good sleep this weekend? Am I focusing on all the things that I can focus on, relaxing, managing stress, so that when I go into train on Monday, I'm ready and prepared to get the best out of that particular session to make smart training decisions, make, try to make sure I'm in a good headspace, taking care of all those variables. And I'm just focused on that. And if you focus on what's right in front of you, maximizing, uh, getting the best you can out of each session, the outcome, those results you're looking for, the, the weights, the, the numbers, they tend to take care of themselves in that instance. That's an awesome, amazing message, man. Because like, that's something that I think that's easy. A lot of my anxiety around like my meets is just like, I'm not really attached to the numbers. It's like, I would like to hit these numbers but I understand that, you know, like I used to get so anxious around like my heaviest singles. <laughs> I just, I took them on like deadlift and on, and on squat. And I would, that would cause me to make really poor training. This is like, I have to hit this number. And then that would, you know, really, you know, alter, you know, how I, how I peaked. And yeah. uh, the, I think going through that process of like really understanding, like, this is what I can control. Um, you know, whatever my strength is right now, I have to respect that single at 8.5 or whatever my coach gives me. And, whatever I have, like, that's fine. It doesn't mean that I want to, I can't do that on meet day. Like I hit 661, like when I pulled 700 and it was like as hard as 700, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's just like, like, like meet me day, meet day is so much different. So I think that's an amazing message, man. And um, like, I'm really excited to just, you know, keep you, uh, keep, keep, keep watching you. And uh, I know it's awesome seeing, you know, you getting married, taking those life gains too. I'm sure that's positively really impacted you on, yeah. you know, sort of that diversifying your happiness portfolio too. So yeah, yeah um, absolutely. Really, really couldn't be happy for you, man. So if people want to, you know, reach out to you, uh, find you, what's the best way that they can? Uh, best way, uh, Charlie at Barbell Medicine or Charlie underscore Barbell Medicine on Instagram. Um, email would just be Charlie uh, at barbellmedicine.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'll include those details in the the show notes. And I thank you guys for listening and I'll talk to you guys in the next episode. Awesome.